Welcome to the Light Vision Podcast once again, where I host various people to shine light on meaningful conversations. My name is Eric Fisher, and this episode 22 takes us to the seas in search of whales, epic adventures, and conservation conversation. And my guest, Lauren Fritz, is an expert in the field. She is a marine naturalist and passionate about many things nature and oceans and whales and i'm so excited to share with you her conversation her outlooks and perspectives and her really helpful tips to consider new life as we're looking at taking care of our neighboring whales the oceans themselves and the earth in which we live please do enjoy episode 22 of the life vision podcast oh right i it's always good to start a new podcast, a new episode, and a new guest, and a fresh perspective, and many more stories to come, and I want to jump right in, so please, if you don't mind introducing yourself for us. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. Uh, my name is Lauren. I am a marine naturalist uh, by trade, I suppose, but uh, I wear a lot of different hats. Um, I live on the island of Maui currently. Uh, and I work as a whale watch guide down here. Uh, whale season is ending, sadly, so I'm doing my other job, which is onboard photography for snorkel tours. But basically anything that gets me in the ocean uh, makes me happy, and I try to, I've tried to turn that in a way to make money over the last few years, and I think I've done an okay job of it, which has been pretty cool. Um, but yeah, my work has taken me all over the place. I've been in Maui for just about, I think, five months now, but I've lived here in previous whale seasons. So this is my, I think it's my third whale season here. But wow. I've worked in Washington State as a whale watch guide as well, uh, New Zealand, Australia, and Tonga. Yeah, so nice. I've been kind of gallivanting about for the last six years in pursuit of whales, dolphins, and I guess epic adventures. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, so a little bit about me. Okay, <laughs> it sounds like you've achieved some of those pursuits. Um, so I am almost always fascinated in in the origin story of sorts. So, if you will, so how did you mm-hmm. get into this um, this pursuit of whales and epic adventures? How, what what inclined you to that? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's pretty. Uh, a little bit roundabout, I guess. So I grew up in Idaho, in northern Idaho, okay. which was beautiful. A very oceanic place. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we took a couple family trips to probably the Oregon coast. I'm guessing it would be one of the first places I saw the ocean that I can actually remember. Yeah. Um, I think I went to the east coast as a baby, but don't remember that. Uh, but my family was very outdoor-oriented. We spent a lot of time outside, camped all the time, hiking. So there was always that love of, I guess, being outside and adventuring and being in nature that I really enjoyed. That's kind of manifested a little bit differently in my 20s. But, um, yeah, and I, honestly, it wasn't until college when I studied abroad in Australia that I got a little bit more fixated on the ocean itself mm. and a little bit more fascinated. And so I think that was my, my junior year of college is kind of when things kind of switched in my brain and I started to envision different opportunities and visiting different places and trying something different than what I studied in my undergrad, which was engineering. I've taken a big 360 from engineering <laughs> since that time, but 
life's funny like that. Yeah, yeah. From from engineering in a traditional sense to engineering epic adventures and, and new experiences. Uh, that I I think I don't know if I speak for most people, but I mean the the ocean is mystical, and uh, whales are are just majestic. Um, so I, I don't I'm not confused at at or even have any questions at all about how you stayed in that field. Um, because it's just, just awesome. Um, so I guess I want to, I'm curious in your, and this is probably a grand question, but do you have any stories that, that pop in your mind of experiences on the water when chasing down these gentle giants or, or, or people experiences in, in relation to, to the sightings and interactions? Yeah. Well, you, you put that very well. They are definitely mystical and there's, a certain sense of intrigue and curiosity, I think, that people get when they're around marine mammals in general. So yeah. you, you said that very well. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. In terms of stories, I think the first time I can recall actually watching whales for any extended period of time or seeing them was um, also in my right after my junior year of college, actually. I was doing a, a shark research internship um, and we were out on the boat. This is off the coast of South Africa, of all places. Nice. Um, an amazing spot to go um, see marine life. There is just a huge diversity of life down there. But we saw two humpback whales, and they we were with them probably for a little over an hour, and they were both just breaching incessantly, double breaching together. It was almost in unison, and I just remember being on the boat with two of the other guides that I was working with, there was a British guy and a Norwegian guy, and we were all of us just kind of squealing with excitement because we'd never seen anything like that. And these whales just kept at it for hours, or not hours, sorry, over an hour, but still, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and um, it's just, it was mesmerizing. Uh, I can't. I can't really imagine that. I mean, I, I've seen. I've gone whale watch, <laughs> whale watching maybe three times. I think, um, <laughs> and we've got some pretty cool encounters. But I think that's always the dream. So that sounds. That sounds awesome to to just take that in, um, and it, it awak- Just hearing you talk about it, uh, frankly, it awakens the child in me um, <laughs> because it's it's. <laughs> It's super cool to, to see nature in action like that. Um, I, I loved animals growing up. I mean, I, I wanted it, my family thought I'd be a zoologist, and and, and elephants are, are um, uh, one of my favorite animals. And you can make an argument that they might be like the, the whale version of, of land mammals. Um, and yeah, um, and I I still there's still a part of me. There's an, there's an ember that's blowing that's kind of glowing inside that says you, you need to go back out there and, and and encounter these beasts and these these wild animals again um potentially more full time so um i guess i'm going to back up even a little bit so you said you're engineering which is a big mm-hmm. a big shift um so how, how did how did you get into a life of marine uh, naturalist pursuits yeah, it was my, probably my first, I guess, air quotes, real job outside of college, um, my marine naturalist position. And to be honest, it was just kind of a a job that 
I had applied to many jobs at this point. I was a year out of college. I had spent a year abroad doing volunteer work and traveling a bit before coming back home. But I applied for a bunch of jobs. I was thinking about doing something in the environmental field. I knew my heart wasn't in engineering, even though I finished that degree. I just, my gut was saying no. And it was overpoweringly no. So I knew, okay, try something else. Um, Yeah, I just applied for a few jobs. Got a job as a marine naturalist in... Maui, and to be honest, when I accepted the job, I was—I don't even know what a marine naturalist is. What do we do? <laughs> but <laughs> the job promised like on-site training and everything, and uh, it was honestly an amazing stepping stone into this. And it was my first boat job. So, what a marine naturalist does—I guess I'll explain it. Um, we basically just teach people about the ocean. We also work as boat crew, so they kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. But essentially, we lead these educational snorkeling and whale watch tours and it's an amazing platform to teach people about conservation and marine mammals and it's not it's definitely not all glamorous you have to clean up seasickness a lot and it's a lot of customer service and making sure people are happy but I mean what a amazing way to spend time on the water and to make money doing that is pretty incredible and to see these creatures out there every day Um, that's really cool that you were thinking about zoology and that yeah elephants are amazing i don't think i've seen one up close before but i would love to Oh, see, see I, I grew up in San Diego and, you know, the, the world famous San Diego Zoo and the Safari mm. Park. So um, I've gotten very, very fortunate to, to get up close to, to many um, animals, especially elephants. But uh, and I and I asked that question f- partially for me. I'm a little <laughs> you never know when you're talking about career changes or directional shifts. Uh, I'm, I'm a little interested potentially if, if the opportunity uh, arose to uh, to join that effort at some point in time. I'm kind of planting the seeds in my own mind, potentially. But also for the listeners, of course, of course, to say, hey, if you want to go out there and chase your dreams and live out in nature, learn more about conservation and help people, um, you can probably do mm-hmm. it too. You don't have to be trapped in there um, with, with a, a choice we made when we're youngsters. So um, that's that's awesome. And, and then also, you mentioned this, and I wanted to talk about this. So the idea of conservation. And there's, mm-hmm. there's 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 probably a, a polarizing view of what that might mean across many different types of people. But at the heart, is it fair to say that it's about getting close to these animals to appreciate what they are and what they do to help us kind of continue in this in this earth in the way in which we enjoy it? Yes, I think that's definitely stated very well. I mean, there's so many different branches of conservation, right? It's hard to, I guess, nail down a a definition, but when it comes to conservation of marine mammals in a holistic sense, it's really just about taking care of the planet and better analyzing our relationship with the planet and the ocean and how we're treating it. And then taking that one step further and seeing how that affects the animals that have been living in this ocean for hundreds of thousands of years that we didn't know we were impacting in the ways that we are impacting and we're learning about that now. And so I think it's just, yeah, I'm obviously pretty passionate about conservation. And I think the first step in anyone understanding what that means is just to ask questions and be curious about nature and the planet. And it's been really cool to spark those questions in people throughout my work, you know, people that don't live by the ocean, come and take a trip to Maui and they come out on the boat 
their first time snorkeling, their first time seeing a whale, and they're just mesmerized. And you know mm-hmm. that's going to stick with them for life, and they're going to start asking questions. And on a lot of our tours, we do conservation talks at the end of them just to kind of wrap things up yeah. and summarize what we saw that day, but also to kind of give people suggestions about what they can do to help protect the planet and what challenges the planet is facing. And obviously people are on vacation. We try to keep things pretty light, but <laughs> it's still, I mean, I, I for one don't like talking about doom and gloom or at least focusing on that. And I work, I think I tried to lighten what can be very dark situations, which is hard. It can be draining. It is hard, but I think we need people to do that. We need people to lift the energy and remove the negativity around certain things. I think, and just give a more positive, like, here's what you can actually do. Here's what you can think about instead of just getting wrapped up in kind of despair around conservation, for yeah. lack of a better way of saying it. No, I think that's that's right. I, when it comes to conservation, I think of a documentary that I watched probably several years ago, but it stuck with me, and it's called Racing Extinction. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Um, it's, I haven't. It's, it's really good, but there's a quote in there that kind of talks to that, that point. It's... it's and the man, the guy who was talking kind of makes the point that says um, you can take two approaches when you're talking about conservation or really just kind of this topic in general. And either you could curse the darkness or you can light a match. And um, and I love that imagery because it, I think, gets to the heart of what you were just were saying as far as we can get caught up in this darkness and get really frustrated at all the, all the imperfections and things. Or we can try to find solutions and, and move forward. So. I think that's what I'm interested in, um, in talking to you now. So, um, in your opinion, uh, in your view, mm-hmm. um, six years pursuing all of this, um, kind of enchanting epic adventures of, of wildlife and, and conservation, what do you think are some easy answers that the everyday person or the wildlife enthusiast can, can engage in to help with conservation? I love this topic. (laughs) Obviously, I love this topic. Great question. Um, And it's interesting because I don't think I I didn't mention it at the beginning of the podcast, but you may or may not know about um, my blog, The Greenest Blue. I started it, I think it was 2018 now, so a few years ago. But it was 2018 was kind of the year where I just felt I had been in this line of work for three years at that time. And I was really starting to feel like, oh my gosh, I'm falling in love with this amazing marine ecosystem. But because I'm falling in love with it, I'm learning so much about what's going wrong. And it was really hard to digest all of that. It was really hard to stay positive. But sometime during that year, I felt more of a mental shift and more motivation to do something about it. And that's what made me start this blog. It's what made me, I think because I write from the point of view of somebody that is learning about this alongside my readers. I'd never try to like preach or anything like that. I just, cause I've stumbled along the way, figuring out what I want to do to live a greener lifestyle and how I want to act and treat the planet. And I think I just kind of shared my journey and it's more of a conversational approach, which I think is what people want to read and need to read when they're trying to figure this stuff out. Mm -hmm. But some of the tips I've come up with, and this is, you know, just, just a dent, but every dent helps. Um, obviously our, our bigger issues are probably pollution and climate change. And there's certain things that exacerbate those effects. So awareness of how you're living your life, how you're using resources. I mean, we talk about plastic all the time. I'm sure people are sick of hearing about plastic, <laughs> but 
it's, I think plastic is representative of a lot of other things. Yes, we're misusing plastic and we're throwing things away, but I think plastic in general is just representative of this throwaway lifestyle that mm. I think started probably back in the 50s yeah. when they came out with like plastic cutlery and paper plates. And I just think it just, it's, at least for me, it's raised my awareness of, oh, why am I using this thing once and throwing it away? And not even just plastic things, other things in my life. Sure. So I started to shift on what can I reuse? What can I give a second life to? Instead of recycling, what can I do to just eliminate the need to do anything with? And just instead, I don't know, use what you have. Thrift store shopping. I'm a great thrifter. Yeah. Repurposing things. Sure. Um, that's a big one, I think, and just asking questions of yourself, like, oh, what can I do when I'm going grocery shopping? Buy things in glass is probably a better option than buying things in plastic. And once you start asking those questions, it really leads to you asking yourself other questions, and it kind of sparks this this new inquisitive nature in people, I think. Um, hmm. So that's a big one. I guess I could talk about that forever, but I'll try to keep it short on some other things. Uh, one thing I've struggled with, especially with the way I've lived my life, is air travel. Obviously, that's a big, you know, that consumes quite a lot of fossil fuels. And I've had a really hard time coming to terms with that. And I've tried to travel more intentionally okay. now. Yep. So, and I, I think that's important to do, too. It's really hard. I'm, I mean, it's also, I come with so much gratitude that I am able to travel. I know that's not an option available to a lot of people. Um, but instead of taking short trips across the world, I'll try and, you know, if I move down to New Zealand, I tend to stay down there for the year or for six months. And that's why I like, I found a job when I was down there and I made that part of my work. And I, I really enjoyed just slow, intentional travel. Um, and I think even, you know, people really only, some people in the U S only get two weeks of vacation or 10 days of vacation a year, and they don't really have that option. Um, but just being intentional about where you're going and what you're going to do when you're there. And I think just being aware of what you're doing is the first step. So travel's a hard one. We all, yeah. I love traveling. Yeah. We all love traveling, but it, yeah. inherently you're using resources to do so. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, <laughs> um, that, there's, I have a lot of thoughts. That's, that's a good question. I was going to say that the, the travel one is, um, is, is an interesting one because especially for you mm-hmm. in the kind of tourism game, um, it, it feels yeah. like it, it would be kind of like, if we do this really well, you're out of a job in, in this sense that you're currently working. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, but there'd be a pivot, and I don't think you'd have any issue in pivoting that. You know, so there's kind of like this adaptability. But um, yeah, I wonder if if the mindfulness part is interesting to me too. So you mentioned the, the, the to being intentional um, on on small things like grocery shopping to larger things like travel, um, and I I think there is a lot to that as far as uh, considering not only with with the relationship with Earth. Um, but also mm-hmm. our relationship with people, you know, and in our interactions with each other, I think there's a huge need for that. And working in, you know, the storytelling space in wellness space that I have for so long, uh, that is becoming more and more prevalent, much more of a common place to start talking about, uh, a step forward is, is intentionality and mindfulness and emotional health and well-being. And those are awesome. Um, and I think it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's difficult though, to, to really kind of, uh, wrestle with those ideas compared to 
and I liked how you put it, the throwaway lifestyle. That can that, that probably mm-hmm. could be abrasive to hear that. And you say, am I potentially mm-hmm. engaging in a throwaway lifestyle? But I think that question itself is worth asking um, because it could uh, give birth to greater meaning if, if the answer is yes and are there alternatives to that. Um, yeah. so, and I, I want your perspective on this. So, so I think sometimes when conservation comes up or when um, kind of climate change or what can we do or these kind of daunting tasks potentially come to our, our face and we hear that um, you know, grocery shopping or minimalist living or travel all, all should have considerations. I think sometimes the reaction that we have as listeners is to say, if I can't do it all, then why try? Um, mm-hmm. And it, I, I know that's not the appropriate response, but do you have, I mean, in addition to the good tips that you've given us, uh, what do you think are the most practical things for the typical American that is a part of just kind of a convenience lifestyle or even just a, a world yeah. world liver? What do, you, what do you think is the, the easiest first step without feeling overwhelmed? And another good question. Before I answer it, I just want to touch on something you just said about you mentioned emotional health and well-being and that yeah. just like sparked something in my brain because I, I think if we're taking care of our own mental health and our own emotions, we are in a much better place to approach this daunting topic of conservation. And that's something that I'm fascinated with is like the intersection of mental health and environmental conservation because I don't think enough people talk about that. There's a lot of people talking about mental health and a lot of people talking about conservation. But that intersection is so important, and I've just witnessed that a lot in myself and in people that I work with. And if you're practicing self-care and taking care of yourself, you're able to take a lot more action from a, a centered mindset and a less despairing mindset, I guess. But without going too much down that road, yeah, yeah. mental health is very important. People should, yeah, I just, I'm very passionate about that too. But... Yeah, okay, so let's say I'm a person, I'm sick of hearing about climate change, I don't know what to do, I'm frustrated, I'm just going to keep plowing ahead with my life as it is because it's convenient and it makes sense and I trust it. Um, I Honestly, I think the first thing that might change my mind or might make me want to step forward and try something different that might be a little bit greener is to experience something in nature or to at least have a why i've heard this brought up a lot in the conservation world like find your why why are you taking action why do you want to protect the planet and for everybody that's different so i mentioned going out in nature that would probably be my why that's probably not everyone's why but say if i had a family and i had little kids my why might be oh i want them to be able to experience the planet like i'm able to see it today but in 30 years or 40 years and so I think not even really an action, more of like an internal thought process is just thinking, okay, what is important to me and how can I connect that to environmental conservation? Why is this important? And it's just starting to ask questions of yourself, not even taking action yet because actions are going to be kind of meaningless or without a lot of oomph to them unless you have a reason for them. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and that's 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 a perfect start. So find your why. I mean, we we talked about that in the wellness industry yeah. all the time too. So, I mean, it's, if you want to physical, emotional, um, you know, financial change, and any all these things that we are are more easily understood, 
if you don't have a, a strong why, then it's going to die off. We we understand that pretty well. So I, I like that we uh, you can apply that to to conservation or environmentally friendly choices as well. So that that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I'm, I'm tempted to go deep just because this is a fascinating topic, and I and I view you as a very knowledgeable person in that area. Um, so I, I am interested, not not necessarily from a skeptic standpoint, but maybe from that kind of that fatigued individual from hearing about this topic and you trust the lifestyle that you have and because it works and it's convenient and all these things. Um, and part of that might be because you, you yourself haven't seen a tangible, observable change mm. in your life. And so this, this kind of thought about my kids or grandkids' future seems sometimes an empty threat um so yeah what what how do you respond to that what do you think about kind of that perspective yeah that's interesting i guess for me i'm kind of an avid new york times reader and national geographic so i'm kind of constantly exposed to pictures of climate change and research papers being put out about what's happening in the planet but i guess Obviously, not everybody reads those and not everybody sees that happening in front of them or they choose not to see it. Um, That's a hard one. I Honestly, I guess you can't really force somebody to see something that they're not ready to see. But it's you mentioned the idea of planting seeds earlier in the podcast. It was kind of in a different area. I guess it was like planting seeds to do a career change. But I just think we should never underestimate the power of planting seeds in any area of our life. And if you have a friend who is like that very stubborn and doesn't really talk about climate change or doesn't really believe in it or whatever, um, just, I mean, not forcing uncomfortable conversations or anything like that. That's never want to do that and not forcing them to change their mind or do anything they're not ready to do, but just leading by example, I guess, just leading by example is the first step that we can do and others will hopefully take heed of that and notice And at some point in our lives, I think things just click for us. And especially in conservation, we have an amazing experience out in nature. We read something that kind of sparks a new train of thought. We see someone else acting a certain way and we're like, wow, why are they doing that? Oh, this is something that they're doing so they can be more sustainable. I never thought about that. So just honestly, if people who are ready to take action just lead by example, I think other people will observe that and hopefully that sparks its own kind of change. I know it's not really a super concrete solution to things, but I don't think there is an easy answer to that one. No, but I think it's effective, and I appreciate you saying that because um, you know, I, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a story nerd, so I, I'm definitely one that feels <laughs> like even though I'm imperf- imperfect in doing it, that narrative and storytelling is a an avenue and one of the most powerful avenues to impact and influence the hearts of ourselves and others. And and that begins with that exemplary living. So I kept, I keep thinking about this this kind of phrase that I like, this culture of curiosity. When you when you keep talking, it sounds as if mm-hmm. you're wrapped in a culture of curiosity. And I mean that in such a great great way. That you see you see mm-hmm. the world and you're curious about what could be and what is and how we in, we are, we are a part of it. And that's a, that's a, a pretty, a pretty cool thing. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so I, I love that. I love that you, you use exemplary living as, as a solution because, I mean, maybe we just need to take more responsibility. <laughs> I like that. I can, I can, yeah. I can, I can dig that. Um, so I, I appreciate you sharing that. And, um, and uh, yeah, it, it brings me also back to this, this kind of idea of, of vision or sight. Like, how, how are we seeing the world? So you, you also mentioned... Uh, maybe choose not to see it for for a variety of reasons, perhaps because it is heavy material. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many heavy things in our world right now, and there's so much information available to us that can be heavy. Uh, so it's pretty easy to to siphon off different uh, pieces of information just because we don't want so much heaviness. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. And that's understandable. Um, but uh, it, the, I think the curiosity is. And exemplary living is a good switch. So I, I thank mm-hmm. you for, for sharing that because um, I'm I'm personally wrestling with this idea of, of seeing things in a new way. Um, and, and I'm a I'm a believer in Jesus. So there's a scripture that I think about uh, a lot in, in Matthew. He talks about the light is the lamp of the body, and if the lamp if the eye is good, then your body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your body will be full of darkness. And if you're if you're the if the light that is within you is darkness, then how great is that darkness? In other words, if if we think we're seeing, but we're actually not, how blind are we really? And and that's a a, a powerful thought that I often think about, and certainly can be applied to conservation. Uh, certainly can be applied to nature, as far as taking that culture of curiosity, asking the question. And and then in doing so, opening our eyes a little bit more. Yeah, wow, that's powerful. Yeah, I just I think curiosity can't be applauded enough. Just asking questions in all aspects of our life, we're always. I mean, being human beings are constantly changing and in a state of evolution. And I, I just think that's the best. If you can wake up every day and be open to new mindsets and thinking about things differently. I just, I think that's the very best thing that we can do in this, in this time and any time really, just being open to learning new things and trying new things and living life as a permanent student. That's something mm. I wrote about myself once and I was like, huh, I kind of am a permanent student. <laughs> yeah, just always learning. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, I, I have this one last, just random question. Um, what is your favorite whale? Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> uh, I'm such uh, it's it's obvious and it's not obvious but I mean it's not super original but I've got to go with my gut it's, I've always loved humpbacks humpback whales I don't know if it's because it's the first whale I actually saw or because I spent the most time with them I think that's part of it but they're just big gentle giants and they've got these really long flippers and they roll around a lot and they just I mean some people wouldn't describe them as cute I think they're cute they are covered <laughs> in lots of little bumps and <laughs> scars cute, and whatnot but a cute quality to them yeah yeah they're just they honestly what I think it is besides them me seeing them so often out here it's the fact that they have such a success story, most of the populations of humpbacks around the world have rebounded since the age of whaling. And so it's nice to talk to people about a conservation success story. And we get to do that with humpback whales, especially here in Maui. So that's one thing. And also, 
I'm, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, and speaking of being a permanent student, I'm going back to school to do humpback whale research oh, wow. in September at Santa Cruz. That's amazing. So I'm going to see them even more. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, well, I also love mm-hmm. humpback whales, so that, that's uh, I'll support. I support your favorite. Not that you needed it. Uh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, how, and I am just my last. I keep saying my last question. How close have you gotten? <laughs> how close have you gotten to a, a humpback or just a whale by extension? Mm. All right, very close. <laughs> but proceed with caution because this is only legal in certain parts of the world. Okay. Okay. Um, I worked. A, I worked a season in Tonga in the South Pacific, and it is, they have a very big swim with whales tourism, not program, but the, an industry. That's the word I'm looking okay. for. And so I worked as a whale swim guide down there, and we take people in the water with humpbacks, only four people at a time. But I think the Tongan government put a regulation in place that you can't get closer to the whale than five meters, which is not very far at all for yeah. an animal that's, you know, 15 meters long, 40 right. to 50 feet. Yeah. But to be quite honest, we've had calves come right up to our faces slash swim underneath us and bump our flippers before wow. because they're so inquisitive and very close. That's what I'll say. <laughs> That's amazing. So I, I won't. I will not skirt over the fact that you said that this is not legal in all parts of the world. So make sure that you follow <laughs> regulations and listen to your 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 wildlife naturalists and guides very closely. Yes. Uh, and and pay much respect to the to your surroundings. Uh, but that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a cool experience for sure. That's awesome. Okay, cool. All right, my the last thing as we close, and I, this has been such a great conversation, and I really hope it's been inspiring to many people. Um, but one last note: to how 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 can people find your blog? Um, and uh, and then yeah, how, how can how can we find you? Pretty easy. Just thegreenestblue.com is the website. There's links to my Instagram of the same name, the Greenest Blue. I think I got a Facebook page. But, yeah, either on Instagram or emailing me through my blog is probably the best way to get in touch with me if anyone has questions or if they want to read about whales and conservation and mindful living, it's all there, too. So I try to post inspirational content for the most part. Well, that is amazing. I'll post that in the episode's description so everyone is even easier to find you. Um, But, Lauren, this has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you about whales and uh, epic adventures and conservation and i appreciate you very much so thank you so for for joining absolutely and thank you eric you are an inspiration as well thank you for creating this platform for people to share stories about things they're passionate about you're doing amazing work and i appreciate it thank you thanks for having me on yes likewise And I appreciate you very much for listening to the Light Vision Podcast. Thank you once again for listening to this episode of the Light Vision Podcast featuring Lauren Fritz. I am left in awe and wonder at the nature that surrounds us and trying to find ways and think about ways that I can be a willing and active participant and choose to be a part of a life that is not a throwaway lifestyle. 
uh, in order to preserve the beauty around us. So thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy listening to this podcast or new to this podcast, please do subscribe. We love talking to many different types of people and to see and shine light on meaningful conversations, things that we're passionate about. And I want to hear your suggestions as well. So in addition to subscribing, liking, sharing, commenting, and rating the podcast, let me know who you want to hear on the podcast because this is for you as well as for me in conversations, certainly. But let me know who you think would be good on the Light Vision Podcast. I love having suggestions. Please do rate, share, subscribe anywhere you get your podcast, and let me know what you think in um, uh, who should be joining. That'd be great. This is a Finer Creations production, F-I-N-O-W-R, designed to shine light on this human experience through storytelling. And if you go check out the website, F-I-N-O-W-R.com. Check out all the news and notes, the updates of what's coming, including the life story experience and how it might serve you to preserve life stories of individuals, loved ones, and family members in your life. So check that out, finor.com, F-I-N-O-W-R.com to stay up to date and learn all the things that are coming down the pike in the future. Thank you again for all of your support, and thank you again to Music Vine for supplying the intro and conclusion song by Tobias Voigt, Beacon. This is the Light Vision Podcast, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much.